Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. I'm here today with Wendy Sims Moten, and she is the executive director of First Five, and she's also a board member, former president of the Santa Barbara Unified School District. But I have to tell you, I was so impressed with Wendy when she gave a talk at Santa Barbara City College, and it was sort of focused on uncommon courage. It was in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King, and there was a bridge crossing, and she spoke. And Wendy, I was just wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about that day and that moment and how passionate you were. It was so impressive. Talk to me about Uncommon Courage and what that means for you and your experience. Yeah, well, thank you, Josh, for having me um, and looking forward to you know our chat throughout the day. Um, yeah, I had a friend who I met, uh, girlfriends, we get together and go on an annual trip, and and we talked about New Year's resolutions. And uh, she says, yeah, I don't really make uh, New Year's resolutions, but I have a word that I want to live by. And I'm like, oh, well, that's different. So I kind of took up that notion and I said, and she said, well, what's going to be your word um, for 2020? I go, oh, I think it has to be courage. And um, so there it was. And it went off and I knew just in terms of just where we were, um, you know, with regards to our school board at the time, we were just in a lot, embroiled in a lot of things. And so you have to have the courage to be able to, to, to do the right thing, even when it doesn't feel like it's the right time to do it, right, in, in that sense. And so that courage came. And then I was asked to be the keynote speaker for the Martin Luther King. And I was like, oh, my, okay. Uh, you know, I'm usually not shy about things. I'll, I'll eventually get there. But I, I thought about that, and we were also at the 50th anniversary of the Pettus Bridge. And so there were a lot of things that were coming together that really came around that. And as I thought about Dr. Martin Luther King, and I certainly thought about those brave individuals who crossed that bridge um that that, that wasn't everyday courage because everyday courage i got to get up put my shoes on you know okay i gotta go to work whatever but when it tests your resolve that it may impact your life whether you're going to live or die that's uncommon you know and uncommon is also when you have to speak against a um a full tide of someone saying this has to be when you know when you know intuitively that's not the right thing. You have to have that uncommon courage to, to do more, to get over so that that voice can be heard and that people can take a pause. Because when you do it, when it's uncommon, it's not every day. And so throughout that time, as I wrote the speech and I was thinking of different things, I, many people came up and I think, you know, Harriet Tubman was, was, was one of them. I spoke about her uncommon courage to be able to have to go, I am going to risk my life because I know for the greater good of humanity, I have to do this. I'm here. I have this gift. I have this moment. And the uncommon courage also is about what you have in, within you and what your purpose is, you know, on this earth. And sometimes you don't find that until a situation puts you there. And I think often, you know, you think of Martin Luther King, young man, you know, you didn't know what his uncommon courage was going to be, but over time, you had to realize he's becoming the leader of a voice in, in a nation that just said you as a people, African-Americans, don't count. So to keep pushing up against that, against that and realize you had to bring the will of a people to say, we will not stand this, we will not stand for this, but you also had to be able to bring other folks who it wasn't directly impacting, so to speak. And I think that's what Uncommon Courage does too. You have to be able to have people hear your voice and to follow where you're going, even if they may be going a different direction. And so I, I find it often when, you know, I didn't even realize where Uncommon Courage would then direct me. I was five years old. 
I think I was probably four, wanting to be five, because at that point I was going to be going to kindergarten. And um, it had to be 1960-something, we won't say my age. But anyway, um, my great-grandmother lived literally across the street from the all-African-American, uh, at that point, black school, right? And so I wanted to go. My cousins were going. I wasn't quite there. And it was just at the time of integration, too. And my, my aunts and uncles were much older than me. They were in high school. And so they were integrating at the time. It was segregated schools uh, in terms of those pieces. And so there was a lot of, when they decided that they were going to integrate, those schools, the black schools got shut down, right? And so there was this just unrest about it, unruly about it. And next thing I know, and I don't know why it's so vivid, but I remember the police in riot gear surrounding my great-grandmother's house. Um, and, and I realized older that it was about controlling that neighborhood or, or, or as opposed to in our white neighborhoods, it's about patrolling for safety. Mm-hmm. And so when you see that, you have to be able to recognize that and, and, and have the courage to speak. And my great-grandmothers and my grandmother and my mother and my uncles and, and grandfathers and who I had the very, you know, the good fortune to have that extended family of uncommon courage because you had to. And so I knew I was always there. I just didn't understand what that was. And so um, sometimes when things or situations get instilled in you for further or future use, and that's why I thought. And then when it gets there, you have to call up on it, right? You have to call up on that piece. And so I think that's important, too, the foundations of how we grow up or experiences that we have, they form us. And I think, you know, as I think about, you know, being the, the executive director for First Five, I, I so am so passionate about the critical of understanding those early years, how forming they are. And so when 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 our kids need to get called up on things, situation puts them in situations such as, you know, what we're going through right now, what foundations have we given them so that they can still feel safe to a degree, they can feel, you know, a little resilient to do and they're able to kind of navigate through at their level of, of, of understanding. And so that again is uncommon courage and getting outside for me, it's outside getting outside yourself and your own ego. Yeah. Um, and just saying I I have the courage to do that, and it's important for me to, you know, to do that. And I go, what if? I wouldn't want to be in regret knowing that I could have done something, and because I just didn't have the courage to do it, that maybe something the outcome would have been would have been different. And so that's what drives me a lot. I, you know, I have a foundation. My mother, love her dearly. She's, you know, she passed away from breast cancer uh, about now, about 17 years ago. But she really instilled in us because at the time when she was growing up, uh, cleaning houses was their only option. Mm. And she said um, that uh, I knew the first house that I cleaned, this is not for me, right? I, I had to do something better. I had to do something better for myself, therefore doing something better for my, for my children. And I have never forgotten that. And so every year on her birthday, I write my brothers a letter and remind them of what they have inside. And then whatever, you know, situations and challenges that um, they may face, they absolutely have within themselves to do and to get through it. And so just a reminder of that. And again, that's my mom's uncommon courage to say, I don't want to clean houses. I know that's what that's the future you have for me. That's not what I have for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I have that to, you know, to, to draw upon, um, you know, and oftentimes, you know, even here in Santa Barbara County, we have a very 1% of African-American, you know, uh, population here. And it's often out of sight. And then I know I sometimes feel like, 
Are you thinking that I'm only going to come from a perspective of African-American? Yes, I'm going to speak to that. But really what's happening there transcends for me across our very diverse and complex, you know, uh, student population in this community. And so I think sometimes the issues that are that happen through a emergency or a challenge, even in this times, it just reflects um, it reflects what's the times in the community. You know, we still may have those gaps, but they're kind of, we don't talk about them. But when an emergency comes and when it impacts everyone, so suddenly we lose the sense of differences and a difference of judgment. We lose that. And I would just like, why don't we keep that all the time? It won't say it won't happen, but you'll be better prepared for it. And I think we will be a better people for it. We will be a stronger community. We have to start where we are right? Mm-hmm. In terms of that. So how can we be a better community in Santa Barbara County? And it's not just sicrial. Well, it's, we had it. So we now to be humane at this point, yeah. you know, life's go on all the time. And, and I mean, if we continue to look at, at the whole community, who makes up this community, who does and who makes us whole, it says, I will speak for someone who's Latino just as easily as I speak for someone who's African-American. I also speak for someone in white America who is, di- you have to speak for everyone, yeah. right? You can't just say you got your perspective because that's your experience. But if you look around and say, who else may be experiencing this so that I can share with you so that in your place and space, when we come together, we have a full perspective. Or if we're at a table, you know, talking about folks, we need to look around. Is everybody here? If everybody's perspective is here and sometimes in a place, whether it be a a woman in a man dominant world or place, you got to speak. You know, you don't even if you don't speak or if you're not present, put yourself in that place. Your perspective is just forgotten and it's never really called upon or looked upon. I looked at it, you know, when I came on this board, coming for the school board, I'm sure I got questions asked, are you sure you want to do that? I said, well, then me within my, pulling my Queen Esther, that's my grandmother, uh, she would just say, I said, so are you asking everyone this? If you think this is, you know, this something they want to do, I would not do this if I didn't want to. So just facing those things um, and being willing to do it, but I'm able to do it and draw upon that. Uh, uncommon courage, if you will, because I had I lived through that experience that if you didn't speak up, you would always just you know going along. And I, I think of of all the folks who spoke before me, yeah. and how do I respect them and reflect them and honor them? You spoke before me by your actions, and sometimes it's not always about speaking; it's about presence. It's if your presence is enough, there was going to be a different perspective. Because first of all. You're the first African-American woman, second African-American, 53 years. That's a long time, right? And so just to have the courage to do it even in the face of everything else. And I think uncommon courage also has to do with knowing yourself because you better know who you are and why you're doing what you do because circumstances, situations, people will, will test that. Yeah. So I think that's 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 crucial and, and that's what drives me and I, I have a family foundation that when everything else get crazy, I have a wonderful husband. Uh, I have a great son who said, Mom, please don't do things until I'm out of school, you know. Just <laughs> you know, just appreciating who, who they are and, and where that comes from. So I get the courage from them, I get the wherewithal from them, um, and the energy from them. And then just in general, it's like when you have experienced where people judge you don't care, look at you differently. When you're in a position of leadership, you should do something about that. 
bring that perspective and when you have the opportunity to speak against it, do it or to speak about it, do it and figure out that you gonna need to get along with a whole bunch of other folks other than yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's was what, you know, in the Underground Railroad with, um, you know, Harriet Tubman. She's like, okay, I know what I got to do. I have the will to do it. I, and I have the, you know, the, the, the drive and the passion, but I'm going to need some folks to help me, right? So I'm going to need folks who have resources to be able to do this. So I've got to figure out, are we on the same page of where we're trying to go? How many folks hid them in wagons? A lot of African-Americans, black folks, they didn't, they didn't have a wagon, you know? And there was uncommon courage on that side too. They had sure. to be willing. You might lose your life, lose your friends, lose your livelihood. You white person helping a black person escape. Yeah. So there's uncommon courage shown in many places, but it's often when you're having to speak and support someone else outside of who you are. And you can't do that if you're not willing to at least walk in their shoes or understand the walk that they have to take. Yeah. Right. So that means talking to people don't look like you, you know, just don't look like you may not just, you know. Um, you know, that's so it's, it's so powerful and so inspirational <laughs> because a lot of times you look around your community, you know, especially in Santa Barbara county there's a lot of latinos here you know on the street yeah. but when you look at people in leadership positions mm -hmm. you don't sort of see that so every time you have an opportunity to speak toward uh, people and be the voice of people mm -hmm. i think people really appreciate that in your role at first five talk a little bit about what you do and specifically with the covid19 virus how is your work being impacted or changing yeah, thank you. I actually have been here now with uh, First Five from the very paperclip, so that I like to mm -hmm. say. And um, we focus on those early years and the importance of those early years and, and, under and how do we then get that message out to the, the community who may not look at it like the early years is impacting their business. But in the long run, if people are prepared, better prepared for this, our kids are better educated early, start to do that, start to prepare parents. And by the way, parents are the first teacher. Uh, other kids and how do we prepare parents to do that to help to be confident in that role so that's essentially what we do is prepare um, children to be ready for kindergarten and strengthen the families to do that because it's a whole picture so we have to look at the whole child and what it takes for them by the time they get to that k-12 system ready to go and then ultimately then meeting that that first benchmark of being able to read at that third grade level so what do we need to do in preparation for that and so we do a lot of that we work uh, with agencies who do do that service directly uh, in terms of that we, we, we uh, fund family resource centers who who meet the basic needs of families and support families with their with their needs with their children's how they cope with different things and you know with the mental health basic needs and so we fund those agencies who provide um, a lot of that service and as you can see in this COVID-19 the family resource centers are a huge anchor because they're doing already the things of focusing on how to support families and families are able to come to a place where they feel safe and they can be could share their issues and not being judged by their issues and also you know we always focus on quality care for our infants and, and children up to 12 is up to child care age and so how do we support that and making sure that folks who are providing care for your children are they qualified how do we support them to go back to school how do we give them the tools that they need to, to provide a quad to provide a quality setting whether that's in a center-based uh, you know, center, whether that's family uh, resource centers, you know, fam not family resource centers, but family daycare centers and child care. 
And also, as importantly, is that not everybody either theoretically want their child in a center-based or family child care setting. They might just want to stay home with with their grandmother, or they might want to be able to stay home with them. And so how do we support that decision, too, and in a way that at that way everybody wherever the care they are they're getting the best that they can with regards to that because then you know your children are being cared for and then they're ready for the world if you speak and getting into that next system and how you can use that opportunity in just basic everyday things to to uh nurture that brain and keep it going they come in here with lots and lots of connections and different things but in order for them to connect and keep going they need to be connected and bonded and and with the parents and, and having that brain uh, you know, energized through reading, talking, saying, and those are basic things. But I think sometimes, what we, and we're getting back to basic, you know, some of the things that we have in our uh, newborn home, newborn home visitation kits is like, here's some basic things that uh, you can use that doesn't cost money because not everybody's coming, having a baby that's going home with a setup, you know, of, of child care, a different cradle or different things they are going. So what can we use and meet that family, meet that family where they are without judging them? What do you need? How can we help you as opposed to us saying, here's what you need. And so that's really important for us at First Five, meeting families where they are and supporting them through and then connecting other community um, agencies, you know, nonprofits that are supporting. Well, it takes all of us to be able to do that. Um, as a child care issue elevated in a way that it hadn't been uh, because the schools closed, you know, in general. So it's like, now what am I going to do with my school-age children, at least for the, that immediate? And then over time, you know, you're getting back, you know, getting back to kind of teaching and still school has to go on. But in that immediate, where are my children going to go? Because the schools had that time between 7, depending on how early they, you know, start class, 7 to 3, sometimes 5 or 6, because parents need that extended care. And so we at first 5, or how do we, how do we, how can we, um, make those settings more uh, have quality to do that. Also looking at from preschool because most of those are after school age, but sometimes how can we better prepare those? How can we redo, repurpose our child care settings to be able to now, you know, take on uh, older kids and different things. And we have to work with many different agencies to be able to make that happen to ensure that kids are feeling comfortable because they would be in a site, in a setting that they hadn't been used to. And as we know, kids routine even if they may not want to go to school but is their routine to complain that they don't want to go but you know it's, it's it's important to be able to do that and so i feel so very fortunate to be um the director and the lead in in, in you know at, at this point at first five and and also have with being on the board how i can really make that that connection from the early foundation so that we the early we can get at things address things form things and, and support our children so when they get to k-12 that's a lesser impact that's a lesser impact on the school system itself, and it really can. They're not looking at as much behavior issues because we may not have caught it in the beginning. You know, in the beginning, you're able to look at do, do different screenings that happen, you know, with the kids and identify things early, identify where the family may need some support early. Um, and so it's connecting that, focusing on those early years and, and really uh, the importance of brain development. And, and just kids are just free. You know, they're just free. They, they And they remind you of to sometimes to just be you know, and because they're always constantly learning, it keeps you learning too mm-hmm. and looking way, looking things that are different, you know, in a different perspective. And so what, how, how it has impacted us, um, you know, through this COVID advice is really the childcare issue. Yeah. And when parents uh, have to go to work, essential workers that have to go, go to work and they've got to still got to have childcare and different those things. So how do we rise up and make sure um, that we're supporting that issue? And I think also, 
childcare is not always something people think about in their emergency planning. So it's another opportunity to talk about the importance of that. You know, we have, you know, um, emergency plannings throughout the county um, here. Each department has a planning, but perhaps our, our goal and what a part we need to do in terms of first five is to say, hey, what are you doing with your child for, for parents who have children and even adult care? So, you know, we're older, we sometimes are taking care of our parents. So what do we do about folks that we're caring for? So we're able to then bring to that, how do we bring our resources to be able to do that across the state? Because there are 58 first fives across the state. And so we have a network that we can go to, to anyone and we can come together. How are you doing it in your county? What are you working on? And we can share best practices to ensure that our youngest citizens um, are taken care of and that that this you know this virus and this different time that we're in don't impact them so negatively um, but you know that it, it somehow can build resilience because we haven't forgot their needs and it's often sometimes we forget their needs and and how they're going to process through things so we've been really uh, integral in creating a survey out to county employees what the needs are and then getting back and working within the fiscal dis- distancing you know shelter in place and, and and making sure you're six feet apart that's a little challenging when you have little you know, it. You know, and they explore with their hands. Yeah. They do that. You know, when they go to school and explore with their hands, you have a cold that they had one at school. So, yeah. how do you do that? Um, but everybody's, you know, working really well as as long as you're talking um, about that. And and one of the things too is that you know has been said by our district attorney and our sheriffs that domestic violence has yeah. has increased. And so, how can we uh, work with our providers um, to say, what do you need from us? Do you need, you know, putting up uh, tips and tools um, that we need to share with our parents and hopefully with our family resources, giving some like time out and respite for parents who are dealing with added stress at this time. If you're already stressed anyway, this just added to that, you know, and how do you, if you didn't have those coping skills then, then it's just, you know, it just greater adds to the stress because I, how do I cope with this as an adult, let alone now I've got to, you know, try to figure out how, you know, to deal with my kids who are still trying to deal with it on their own level and so we've been working closely with that to make sure and so I think what it's saying to me is I think forward that as we learn through these things um, I've asked our staff to start to journal because we also work in the call centers for the county and so we get to hear different calls from the community and so start to look at is there something we can do and prepare on the front end as is in those early years is it better preparing parents what what would you have liked to have happened to you? What like? I mean, what would you have liked to have tools available to you uh, during this time? And is there a way we can start to do that and work with other organizations who are looking at that? You know, we're working with Calm and Family Resource Center who are working with mental health that is really rising. You know, with regards to that and just being afraid of what's going to happen and in the unknown, am I going to have a job? And so how that you know that is all impacting children and how can we? Still in the midst of that, um, you know, um, create calm, if you will, in our house, household as much as we can. Because I think even in leaders and, you know, certainly as heads of households and folks who are in, you know, who are the heads of their families, really everyone else is looking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can at that moment, you can either lead, divide or disrupt or whatever. And so how can we then start to do that? I think, you know, the leadership of our country as leaders, we, we need a leader that can bring us together, you know, and say, we're all in this and we're going to figure this out. And rather than sometimes feeling divided and I can, you know, as first five, because it's early years, it's like I'm looking at early preparation. So what can we do differently in our preparation as we're, you know, getting ready to do a new strategic plan? And so 
uh, it's it's got me thinking what do we need to do and I want that strategic plan to really reflect the times that we're in because we will be in them again but will we be better prepared for them because we've had a chance to talk and and share our stories and our stories are really crucial and I, what I've also learned through this, too, is that schools are anchored in this community in a way that I don't think we kind of realized, right? In the sense, they feed our kids, they care for our kids, their facilities in times of emergencies. So they're there in the community, and that's where families gather, and that's where you can really get a family together, because most often families that are there that are coming to school activities, they're bringing their younger kids together. So how can we be a part of that, that early learning and, and looking at what family needs are? And so it's a good position, I feel, and I feel honored and privileged to be in this position to be able to connect from zero, literally, to 18, right. uh, you know. You're also on the school board, as we talked about, and uh, that deals with K through 12. Uh, I went to DP, or graduated from DP, and, you know, when I was a student, there was a achievement gap. And so I'm wondering if you could talk about, from your perspective, how do you address the achievement gap? Can we ever balance this this out? For me, it wasn't until I got to City College and that first teacher who said, mm-hmm. "You you're worth something. You can do something." And mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was you know 19 years old before mm-hmm. I had a teacher say, "I have high standards for you, and you can do a lot with your life." So, mm-hmm. from your perspective, how do you navigate all these really complicated issues? Yeah. I'm really glad that you asked that, and I do think it's a number of things that you said that yeah, yes. But I would say my first answer is yes, we can, because, and not to take a Obama thing, but I'm just saying, I, I firmly believe that we can. Is it going to take a different way of thinking, different perspective, an uncommon, if you will? You know, because what, what this time in place where we are right now has taught me, we can do what we need to do when we need to do it, right? And we forget all the differences that we have, because it's really about all of us as humanity. How do we how do we survive this together? How do we come out better to this to get you this together? And so, yeah, I think there continues to be achievement gap. And, you know, when I was in school, it was what people expected of you, right? And so you just kind of, you, you knew maybe intuitive you could do a little bit better. You felt good, but no one really said, yes, you can do this. I see this within you. And I think that's critical too, that first of all, I think every kid that comes into the Santa Barbara Unified School District, and I would say further out to county, but since I'm on the board for the Santa Barbara, I would want every one of our students to see themselves as scholars. And some of us may have to, we, you know, we're going to need a little bit of help to do that. But if we're helping everybody to get there, at least to have access, then that goes a long way. Because sometimes it is just by saying, yes, you can do this. I believe in you. It can just turn someone's perspective around. I'm also um, the president of George Washington Carver Scholarship Club. And mm-hmm. and he's thing, he been, did many things and he invented many things. Um, you know, saying that education is the golden key that locks, you know, freedom. I'm sure I didn't quote that right. But, but, but what I had to look at too is that you have to have access to that key though right and that's where equity comes in you may not need as much help as I do but you do need a little help but we want to make sure we're all being able to turn that key if you have if along your path however you're trying to turn that key to freedom you're educating yourself through college preparedness through you know um, career and technical everybody don't want to go to college 
Um, and okay, but they shouldn't be judged for that. But we need to make sure that whatever path they're taking to make sure they're, you know, able to be free and out of poverty and do all those different things, that it is a high standard, you know, uh, and that and we're doing the absolute best that we can. But we have expectations and that's it. We have to expect that they're going to succeed. We can't expect, well, because you come in the door, I'm like, I look at you, you kind of go, uh, I don't know. That's a judgment. But I want, I, I would really want our kids, every last one of them to know, we expect you to succeed. There, there's nothing that we expect greater than to you to succeed. And here's how we need to do that. Yes, we may struggle because our kids bring in many things in their backpacks and in the shoes that, you know, and, you know, that they come in and their little titty shoes and whatever they come in. And they bring a lot of things, you know, because families are struggling and doing a lot of different things. And, you know, the home is a, is, is a crucial part of that. And so, you know, sometimes school is safe for them. So we, so when they get there, that needs to be the place of unbiasedness, unjudgment. It needs to be the place that here we see you. Here we want the best for you, and we're going to bring that to you, you know, in in our professional and our teachers. And not to say that we don't do that, but as a whole, that needs to be our model. We expect them to succeed, and we're going to do everything in our power to do it. Every last one of one on one, and it may sometimes it's gonna, you know, it's gonna change the way we we teach. We definitely have to change the way we teach now, and there's a different way to make sure that we have our children in, in, in engaged. And maybe it's not as soon as you get in the classroom, open your books. It might be how are you doing today? You may not get anything but I guarantee you for someone who never gets that question that says a whole lot that that goes a long way and they're going to want to try a little bit more they're going to bring themselves because it's also important for our kids for our students and and and, and young folks to know you've got to bring something too so you know parents are doing what they need to do teachers are doing what they need to do you know like they say you can take the horse to the water but you can't make him drink it right so to speak so but what what do you need from us and I think it's important for us to you know, um, talk to our students and really hear and, 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 and ask them, what about folks who don't look like you that may be, you know, not feeling as supported as you do? What about that? Have those conversations. And those are those are uncommon conversations because you've got to have the courage to be able to speak there and not feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be bullied for, for, for sharing my perspective. And I think that's, you know, that's an important piece. And I, I do think we can reduce the gap. I think there always will be a gap because we always need something to learn how do we get better and improve because we feel we've succeeded then no one's going to really kind of try. So, you know, if we can get that gap, lessen it every time. That's our goal. We're lessening it every time and we're closer and like, oh, we have a very minimal gap and that is a result of this you know as we as we're looking at what do we need to do when we said we need to flatten this curve uh, to ensure that everybody's safe and we can get back to normal we said we got to shelter in place we got to do something different Mm -hmm. that's what we have to do in education we have to do it you know and in terms of determination not forget the goal and when we may get distracted when things get disrupted we got to go back to go what are we here for why are we doing that? And then people who are in leadership, I think, be it board or, or teachers or superintendents, you got to ask, am I still, you know, meeting that goal? And sometimes you need to step aside. you got to go a different path now because the path you're on is not really still inspiring, you know, our kids and inspiring others to be their best. Sometimes we have to realize we're just tired and we need to, you know, take a, you know, take a little side door. Mm-hmm. Maybe your skills can be used better else for tutoring for you know something not as direct or something like that we have to do it different and i think that if we really look at it do it differently um, then i think we can 
certainly close that gap. Just like that we're trying to work to flatten a curve right. on a virus. <laughs> like, we have to do things differently. Who said you're not going to go to work? Who said you're going to close schools down? Who said that? But it's necessary. It's interesting you mentioned equity and acknowledgement of people's circumstances because unfortunately a lot of people think equity is treating everybody nice yeah. and the same, which we need to do. But before that, you have to acknowledge that people didn't start at the same place as you did. Mm -hmm. So we can all treat each other the same and act like we're all equal from this point on. But mm -hmm. uh, but you have to acknowledge also that these people, some of these students still have the resources when they first started out. Right. Um, they didn't grow up seeing the computers in the household. They didn't grow up hearing the conversations about college. Mm -hmm. For the first time they experienced that, it's at school. And, and as you know, by the time you get to kindergarten, yeah. and so much of who you are has already been shaped mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. before that that happens. I think also that our experiences make us stronger. Yeah. I, when I teach at City College, I've, I've had students tell me, you're the first teacher who ever made me feel comfortable enough to talk in class. Mm -hmm. And that's always the best compliment. That's way better yeah. than, you're the best teacher I've ever had, or something like that. Because if you feel safe enough mm -hmm. to say this, that translates into all sort of other kind of arenas. Um, mm -hmm. On the school board, and we have a large Latino population, we have a smaller African-American population. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you do in terms of advocating for our African-American population who, um, even more so, right, uh, they don't really see themselves in leadership right. positions here. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on reaching that community? Well, I think, you know, if you've, you've heard me over the three years when we would, you know, put up the data dashboards mm -hmm. uh, with regards to that. And uh, so what is other? That's number one. Mm -hmm. Who is that? Well, Miss Sims Moten, you know, this will identify. Okay, it's identifying it just the same, but it doesn't feel like you're being seen from a community that isn't really being seen, but yet it's in your data that's saying you're not, they're not, you know, achieving, you know, mastering. So what do you need to do? Tell me differently how you're going to outreach to this community in, in terms of that space. Um, and so we've, we've, we've gotten to this point. Okay. Yes, we're, we're going to do that. So I have to trust that that's going to do. And I trust that I understand, you know, the complexity of it. That doesn't mean that we just don't do it. And that can't be our excuse every time. Well, it's just, no, you need to find out why and what do we need to do. So, you know, I've, I've had a very fortunate to be, you know, in organizations, you know, um, the endowment for youth um, that was formed by uh, Melvin Ritchie is a woman who, who started that endowment that said, our African-American children, they're, they're not graduating high school. They're being, you know, impacted by drugs. We have to do something. So communities also have to rise up and start to speak for themselves. And But I think it's important. I would love to see much more families coming out to really understand those dashboards, to understand the data that's being there. And so that can then you can, then you could, the children know like, oh, if mom and dad went to, or a grandma or aunt went to that thing, they're going to know what I'm not doing, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to know. Now, you know, I went to school the other day and I learned this, that you're not doing so-and-so, so-and-so, right? <laughs> so I, and I sound just like my mother when I said that, right? But I'm just saying that it's, you know, you've got to have the information and to hold our children accountable. And I think essentially they want to. And I think when we show up, it says that we care. Sometimes the presence, like again, the presence is there. And so I really now starting to work with EYC and how do we do that a little bit differently? And, you know, how do we, we also help our students recognize themselves, expectations. Because I want to say, now I want you sitting in the front of the class 
What support do you need to ensure that you get there? Because do you realize making that connection between what we're showing, you know, and how it impacts you and how you're impacting that data? Now, you can help do it one way or the other. Now, if you can't, if you don't have what you need, then let's talk about what you need to make sure you get that. So I, that's my perspective. And so I also, I'm a chair of a lot of things, so, uh, but, but they're all, you know, rounding education, you know, gateway education, tutoring services um, is, is an awesome place about you because they see you personally. And I think that's what our kids, when you talk about the achievement gap, when you can one-on-one with them and really get into what's what's their barriers for understanding something and 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 you again you're feeling to made you feel so personal and that they care about me and my issue right now and they're going to help me through it and you carry that with you when you have to do that next um you know next test and so i think every place that i am um and i'm able to influence i will i'll bring that perspective and, and i'll say that and, and put what people might not think they think well you're gonna always speak from your african-american you're gonna speak all african-americans don't have the same experience yeah. You know, somebody asked me, what about Compton? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know. So I'm just being real about that. But what I do know is that in the end, I really care about people in general. And how can I make that difference? When we are sitting here talking, have I made a difference in our conversation? Have you felt that I really wanted to hear from you and not just to use that as a part of some data that I need to? But I really care about what you do. You know, I, I, you know, as I think about it, I, I want to be able to get to every school of the first day of school. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And I know you're going to do well. Just those different things. And then, I, you know, when I'm at my church, um, you know, um, and, and the young folks are in our, in our church, that's another opportunity there to see that. Because I had in my, you know, um, in the 60s, I mean, church was, that was the center of who you are. That was who you, who made you, who formed you. You, two, three years old, you were saying, Merry Christmas. Even if, you know, you could say nothing else when you had, you know, Sunday programs on church. And, and if you were two or three years old, you were going to say Merry Christmas, Happy Easter or something. That building, you had all this support. And I think for African-American folks, you know, culturally, we, you know, really always find ourselves, you know, in church. That's that center. That's that core of folks. And certainly it's around faith, but it's even more so is around all the folks who, who are who are supporting you, encouraging you, and inspiring you to be the best. And even in and, and you and you see folks in leadership. You see that. I mean, my first public speaking was grounded in church. Mm. You know, I directed the choir, mm. how to be able to get along and, and do different things. And so wherever in our community um, that you can share um, different things that you've seen, you know, like I see at the school board, I said, let me go have this conversation. Do you understand this? What what do you know? What does it need to do? And I'll say, I need you to be at the school board meeting because yeah. you need to have this information and just to be able to be frank about that. But I think that comes from trust, and I I don't um, I don't underestimate um, the trust that people put in me, even if I don't see them. Yeah. But when I do see them, that you know, so proud of you, Wendy, for doing that and and leading. And, and and being there and just trusting that I can I can tell them you know very frankly my well I did see you the other day so what's happening but knowing that it's coming from a place of care and and that is not a position I don't take this position on this board I don't take this position um, you know as being the executive director first of all I do not take that lightly I, I take that very humbly and, and and very honored to do so because there's only one or two 
you know, that are leading that we see and that our kids see. Um, and so I don't take that lightly. And I want to always do what I can to ensure that what you see is something that you can be proud of and that something as similar to what I'm doing, you want to take a part of that and that inspires you to be as well. You know, work with the young black professionals who are, you know, really great, who are, I think, from UCSB and who want to stay here and make a difference. And so they're coming up. And so how do we work with them and, and support them, you know, over time? And so I think as in the African-American community, when you're a leader, when you're far and few between, it's it's a very responsible um, position. And it's one um, that is going to take passion, is going to take courage, um, and sometimes just just being there says a whole lot and it gives a whole lot of inspiration that you may not necessarily see in the numbers, but I know when I'm meeting with folks, you know, in the community, how much they appreciate that. And, you know, I, I, for that very reason, I'm not seeing a lot of African-American women and different things. I I started the African-American Women Luncheon probably now about nine years ago, Mm -hmm. and it was just simple. We just we're coming to we're coming in and, and being nothing more than that. There's no agenda. Just coming and being here. Just coming together and being together. That that simple, mm-hmm. and 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 to have that feedback, you know, to support women on different things because I think too, you know, as this um, the virus, the COVID virus is disproportionately and you know uh, impacting African Americans and Latinos. You know, it's because we're not always. Um, in a place where we can share or, or to seek help without it being judged, you know, particularly mental health. Like, okay, you're already black. You're already thinking about this. Don't even add that you might be a little crazy. You know, you, people don't understand that, you know, that it's not as easy. But I think as more people speak out to that, and um, and that's what the, the luncheon did. It really brought all these women, over 150 women together, and that we were sharing something in common and that you have a place and you know that there's somewhere, someone out there for you. And I think that's the same way with our students. And when I see them, when I go on campus, I say, I just want you to know I remember your name and I might pop in your class, <laughs> you know, just to say that I really care because I know that you can do it. I believe that you can. And I want to hear if, if you're not able to do that What's that about? And so that's what I would hope and want to do, you know, for my remaining time on this board. Um, And how do we do that? And I think all of those things lead back to your earlier question about the achievement gap. Um, And I think, you know, our schools are very reflective of what's going on in our communities. You know, the disparities in our communities, you know, they come in our schools. And so how do we do that? And so you would hope that the education, is, which is supposed to be the great equalizer, but if you don't have access to that, or if you don't have people who really see you in and figuring out this group of students, whatever color, disability, whatever they have, they're not quite achieving where they could, what do we need to do differently to, to, in, to ensure that that happens? And then that's everybody, because everybody pretty much has to go to school, mm-hmm. with the exception of folks, you know, maybe homeschool, but they got to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, and at some point, we all, um, which is why I was saying that the schools are the anchor, right? Mm-hmm. And they're the anchor, they're the anchor, they can be the great equalizer of, of where our kids go, how they feel about themselves, and, and what we need to do, because that's one of those places where everybody kind of much has to greet up and meet up. And so can we meet up with the goal in mind, have a big old sign that we expect everybody to succeed and we're going to meet that. We're going to we're going to reduce our gap and it takes you to do it as well. You know, and so I think if we if we do that and we think that, too, then I, you will see that change in the gaps, even in our community. And I've 
been fortunate to sit on some boards, you know, with the, the Fund for Santa Barbara and now the McCune Foundation. Um, and uh, to really understand perspectives, I've got to see part of this county that I would have never seen. But I think that's just who I am because I just want to know how can we be better and how can I be a part of that. So I don't have regrets. I don't have regrets uh, when I have an opportunity and I you know, I, I love people and, and, and love laughing and having a good time uh, with people. And I think that's a gift that I just have naturally. And um, just to be able to, to speak to people and feel, and they feel that I'm very authentic uh, in, in, in my goals. And I think if we do that and do the things uncommonly, differently, what do we need to do? If we're focused on reducing achievement gap in our schools, you know, disparity gaps and economic gaps in our community, then we will better for it. They can say, Santa Barbara County, they did it different. They did it different. But everybody's got to be willing to share where that resource, whether that's, you know, that whether that's wisdom and certainly in our leaders. Um, we can't be selfish and we can't be egotistical. Uh, in terms of those pieces, why are we there? And people are expecting us to do, um, you know, to lead and to bring us together and to always have us rise up humanity and in our leaderships. And we have to be accountable um, as leaders um, together. And we have to be able to, you know, call out our leaders when they're not doing their best or when it feels <laughs> like it's like you just, that's a little self-serving, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people, we need to be reminded. You know, my mom was, she was graciously direct and I'm so glad I inherited some of that because I've had to have some co- difficult conversations. But she she would always say, you know, there's a certain expectation. And when you weren't meeting the expectation, she would ask you a question to remind you. There's a certain decorum. There's a certain accountability. There's a certain thing you need to do. So I remember when I was probably about, I don't know, probably about 14, 15. So my mom was a nurse. Uh, that was her saying, I've got to do something different. So she ultimately was a nurse, right? So mm-hmm. she... Um, so she was home oftentimes by 3, 3.30 by the time we got home and she was you know, getting ready to do whatever. This particular day, I don't know, I was probably mad at the world about something. I don't know. But I came in and slammed the door, bam. And I, I'm like, my mom was like, she just you know, she just kept on doing what she needed to do. And she's like, um, so Wendy, uh, I think you lost your mind. So you <laughs> might want to go back outside and find it. And when you find it, come back in and let's talk about what's wrong. So I think that too, <laughs> that really helps. Like, you know the expectations, yeah. but sometimes you get derailed by, you know, just situations, hormones, what all those things are. Yeah. But I, I appreciate that. And that has grounded me in being a leader and meeting folks where they are, being respectful for, you know, you know, of, of folks, um, you know, and knowing that everything's going to be okay. My grandmother was all, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, it's gonna be okay, you know. And in and, and with her, it was more like you know when she was you know she was sick, and my mom you know had cancer, and those few last days were were very um, evident of who of, of our evolving relationship. She was all my mother, but I at the end I knew I was her friend, you know. And that's because of who she was, and she was just you know everything's gonna be okay. And I was like, how's it gonna be okay? You're not gonna be here, she, you know. And my grandma said, what I mean by okay is that you know yeah, your mom's gonna you know she's gonna transition. She says, but then she. Will will no longer be in pain so it's going to be okay and yes you will miss her but you'll be it'll be okay because she's no longer in pain you'll be able to get through those pieces and you have the relationship and relationships are key because oftentimes we don't really um, elevate them or work on them as hard as we should Mm -hmm. and sometimes because that didn't happen when someone dies or sick or it it, it, you can't even really uh, cope with that 
what you're dealing with because the relationship, you know, is in the way. And so I really appreciate inheriting her just wonderful, you know, sense of humor. And because um, I'm always going to laugh or say something, you yeah. know, I should, should not be saying. Um, but I mean, just in a way that I just think it's important to laugh and, uh, you know, and to just treat people, you know, who they're and to plant good seeds and do good for others. Not necessarily that you're looking for a return to you, but somehow down the road, it may be good for someone you encounter with, you know, just plant good seeds, be a good seed planter. It may come back to you if it's necessary, but and do things, you know, without regret. And, and when you feel and use your intuition as part of your power, because it will never steer you wrong. My mom, your first mind will always be your right mind. Mm-hmm. She said, don't doubt it. Because usually when you do, because doubt does, you're like, I shouldn't have done that. You know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And that's okay. She said, but that is a intuition. The power of intuition is, is like no other. Because it's you and follow that that, that gut, gut, that feeling that goes, hey, this feels a little awkward. You know, or even use that in the uncommon courage. Yeah. Well, Wendy Sims Moten, thank you so much. This has been such a dynamic conversation. Thank you. And um, I love talking to you and yeah. hearing everything <laughs> in your perspective. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Josh. And, and I'm so glad that we're on a different how we know and I know you. So now you like me in trouble. Like, hey, Josh, I see you on the street, dude. How you doing? How your kids doing? You know, how y'all good? You know? <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Yes. No, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it. And, um, Find more podcasts at www.santabarbaratalks.com.